1: Welcome to New Books in Fantasy and Adventure, a podcast channel in the New Books Network. This is your host, Gabrielle Matthew, author of the Historical Fantasy Falcon series, and Girl of Fire, the first in an epic fantasy series. My March interview is with Carrie Vaughn, author of The Immortal Conquistador, a tie-in novel for her urban fantasy series, based on Kitty the Werewolf. The Immortal Conquistador is a vampire origin story of Kitty's famed ally, Rick, and his sudden turn to darkness in the 17th century. More than 500 years before his friendship with Kitty, noble Ricardo de Avila's life met a fate-changing twist and his morally complex, blood-soaked existence as an immortal began. Before I welcome Carrie on the show, I'd like to do a short reading from her novel. This is the series, uh, the part called El Conquistador del Tiempo. For the first time in 500 years, Rick stepped into a church. A real, actual, church-looking church with stone walls, stained-glass windows, carved wood statues of Mary and Joseph, cracked and age-darkened paintings of St. Sebastian full of arrows, St. Augustine writing his book, Daniel in the Den of Lines, a bearded man walking on water, but no crosses. Vaulted ceilings arced overhead. The heart was meant to rise up, the soul filling the space as a contemplated heaven. Rick imagined that what was left of his heart and soul did so. Even though this place was underground, the stained glass windows, dark, muted as a cave, he inhaled to find the air rich with stone, wax, incense, and the breath of centuries. He didn't know the name of this church, when it had been built, why it was now buried and hidden under the Vatican, when it had been deconsecrated to allow him and his kind to enter. He was too lost in the wonder of the moment to ask. He had never thought to return to Europe at all, and now he had seen Rome and had finally come to this ancient cathedral full of secrets. The abbot is this way. The somberly dressed young woman who had guided him down the aisle gestured ahead to the transept, waiting patiently while Rick's step slowed and his gaze traveled up and around. Young, she was least a century old. Thank you, he murmured, and she left him to continue on his own. Her shoes clicked on the stone, and she disappeared into the darkness at the front of the nave. The transept choir and Epps had been made into a library, shelves filled with books, thousands of books, with ladders to climb to the highest of them. Scrolls filled racks, folios rested on lecterns, lying open to parchment pages only slightly yellowed with age, and otherwise pristine. As in any useful library, there were desks, tables, chairs arranged for study. Enough for dozens of scholars to work here. And Rick could almost hear the rustle of turning pages, soft whispers echoing, pen scratching. A wondrous space. Now, though, only two people were present. The curved apse was screened off to make a sort of office, lit with shaded electric lights, which seemed incongruous. The place ought to be filled with candles. Rick came to the screen, cautiously looked to the other side. Here sat a large brown man in an enveloping monastic robe. Cowl thrown back, rope belt tied loosely. His chair was upholstered in leather, padded, worn, and patched many times. He did not rise, but sat at the edge, hands steepled, and intently watched Rick's arrival. He was a vampire, chilled, without a heartbeat, no telling how old. Come forward, my son, he said. So after the reading, I'm going to welcome Carrie on the show. Hi, Carrie, and welcome to our show. Thank you for having me. I'm happy to be here. So we're going to jump right into questions about Rick. Rick Davila is a character from your famous Kitty Norville series, which is urban fantasy involving a werewolf who runs a Colin radio show. What makes Rick a character that you wanted to write an entire book about?
0: Uh, well, Rick is a vampire because uh, it turns out when you write about werewolves and other supernatural things, vampires somehow weave their way into the story, uh, whether you kind of intended it or not. Um, yeah, I didn't originally, you know, I'm, I'm not a big va- fan of vampires, um, or so I thought. But then Rick <laughs> showed up um, and I kind of dropped this line about his backstory. Um, being part of Coronado's expedition uh, in colonial Spain. And at that point, he has 500 years of history. And I love history. I love this region. And I decided I needed to fill in that backstory. So I suddenly started writing more and more stories about Rick. And it turned out to be enough to fill a book.
1: Okay. So that's a little how the book came to be. And uh, the book begins, or or kind of the way into all of Rick's Arius' stories is he travels to Rome to meet with the abbot of St. Lazarus of the Shadows. And that's where he tells his story. Tell us a little bit about this mysterious order.
0: A lot of these details tie into things that happened in the Kitty series. Uh, And one of the things that happened, uh, the the book um, that covers a lot of this is Kitty Rocks the House, is they meet a priest who says he's from this mysterious order of vampire priests, which sounds like such a contradiction that, you know, Kitty and Rick and the other characters are just immediately intrigued by this, especially Rick. You know, Rick comes from 16th century Spain, um, essentially. So, you know, very deep in that, that Catholic backstory. So the idea of a vampire priest is very intriguing to him. Um, so that's how he gets wrapped up into this. And he finds out that, yes, that that, uh, you know, for hundreds of years, uh, the Vatican has sponsored this order of, of holy vampires or, you know, vampires who are, who are trying to do good work and, and working for the Vatican in, in, um, battling some evil vampires that are out there trying to take over the world. Um, so yeah, there, there's, that was kind of one of the fun things about working on the, the, uh, Immortal Conquistador is, uh, Kind of dropping these Easter eggs and tying it into the Kitty series, um, you know, having it standalone, but also having it be something that fans of the the series um, can get just a lot more background on on you know little details from there.
1: Yes, you say that Rick is intrigued when he meets a vampire priest. And uh, reading the different stories about Rick, we definitely get the feeling that he's religious and God has an important place in his life. My question to you is, does he or did he at one point feel abandoned by God once he becomes, as he calls himself, a cursed creature?
0: That is part of, you know, that is such a good question because I think, I feel like that's part of what's driving Rick, Rick's character through the centuries. That's one of the questions that sort of keeps him going is he's continually being told he's been abandoned by God and he's cursed and he's, he's not holy and he's damned. Um, You know, other characters are telling him that kind of constantly, uh, you know, over the centuries, but he doesn't believe it. He doesn't feel that himself. He, he sort of clings to the idea that if he um, can do good, if he does good works, you know, if he still believes that, that God has not abandoned him, then, um, then he can be both, you know, this, this cursed vampire creature and, um, you know, still be religious. You know, he—he's, you know, his whole driving thing in life is, is how to reconcile that contradiction, despite the fact that everybody around him is telling him it's impossible. Um, and that, you know, religion is such a fraught question anyway. And uh, he's just been a great character to kind of examine some of those um, some of those issues about personal faith uh, versus the external um, you know, religion.
1: I found it touching. Sometimes he. He can't go in a church that has a crucifix because he's mm-hmm. a vampire. But he lingers as close as he can get to the church. Yeah,
0: too. yeah. The music, uh, you know, I, I think there's that one scene in, in one of the stories where he's listening to the choir outside mm-hmm. of the church, and um, uh, you know, as someone who loves music myself, that that connection that you know he can't go in, but he can still hear it, and he can still participate that way. Uh, It was a really powerful image for me.
1: Mm -hmm. The sound travels. Well, in the segment named Conquistador de la Noche, it opens after Rick's arrival to America in the 16th century. Rick is invited to visit a remote village by an old acquaintance. He tells him there are riches for the taking. When Rick arrives, the village is empty, and he's met by a spooky friar in a church without a cross. Clearly, something is amiss. I did wonder about the significance of the houses being shoddily built. That's alluded to several times. And they have cracks in them. And the whole place is empty. It almost reminded me of a stage set. Can you give us more background about why the village would look that way?
0: Uh, well, I think because the the village wasn't built with any intention to actually shelter people. Mm-hmm. You know, it, I, it, re, referring to it as a stage set is... Um, you know, pretty apt, because I think, uh, you know, that the evil vampire who, uh, who is in charge there, who who ends up um, capturing Rick and transforming Rick into a vampire, spoilers, everybody. Um, I, you know, he, he sort of established this church there as a front you know he's he's pretending to be uh you know this missionary who goes out and builds this church and is supposed to be you know tending to the the villagers and converting um you know the indigenous people there um but of course it's all just a front because he doesn't intend on helping anybody he doesn't intend on on being any kind of a missionary or or doing any of the the work that uh you know you'd expect from somebody in that situation so yeah, it is a front you know the church isn't intended to be a church the village is not intended to be a village it's all um you know for the benefit of people who might you know just be passing by um so yeah. yeah yeah it's it's not it it you know it's indicative of the kind of facade of um you know like a lot of vampires you know, they put on this front so that they can attract people that they can then control um and prey on um,
1: exactly vampires seem to mm-hmm. have a need to aggregate people and lesser vampires under them. And that's explored in a segment called El Conquistador del Tiempo. That's where Rick spends some time in Denver. And readers have learned, as I did, that older, more powerful vampires become masters, and that's capitalized for our listeners, of a community. They take control of a geographical location through the means of subservient vampires and human pawns. Rick doesn't want that kind of power. But he does become a master of Denver. Now we don't want to give away the whole story, but what's his motivation in doing something like that?
0: Well, that's all covered in uh, one of the books in the Kitty series, Kitty and the Silver Bullet, which actually depicts the events that that lead to uh, Rick becoming the master of Denver. So you know, people are really interested in in learning more about Rick. That's a good one of the books um, to delve into, Um, and a lot of that is kind of some of the standard lore about vampires that gets covered in a lot of urban fantasy novels. So part of me is, is playing with that a little bit, playing with the idea of masters and, and these vampire communities, these vampire families that come mm-hmm. together um, in cities and, and Rick being kind of so, you know, so much of him is playing against the stereotype of vampires that we see in a lot of these books that, that do seem to be kind of all powerful um, and ancient and, 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 um, ambitious and, and he's just not. So yeah, what, what does, what happens when somebody like that who actually really cares about people and cares about doing the right thing and, and wants to build a community rather than, you know, be the ruler over, over a group um what happens when somebody like that uh, gets into that position. And and it is to protect people, you know, to to kind of summarize the the whole events without giving too much away. He's um, you know, there are some bad people who come to Denver and, and want to take over and, and the way that he decides he can stop them is by um you know becoming the master of Denver himself to sort of um stem the tide. Um,
1: mm-hmm. Rick is very pro human. His character yeah, yeah. <laughs> his character remains constant over the centuries to book covers. He yearns for a connection with a divine, he doesn't like conspiracies and power games, and he actually prefers human friendship over his own kind. However, change is inevitable. Uh, can you tell us a little bit how Rick evolves over the course of his vampire life?
0: Yeah, I have to think about that for just a minute because he he, you know, in some ways he does stay so true to himself, um, you know, over over the centuries and the decades that, that he does uh, value friendship and he kind of wants to be left alone, but I think what he finds is uh what what is the saying about politics if you don't do politics, politics will be done to you.
1: Mm-hmm. Um
0: and I, I, I wish I could reference that quote. I know it's, uh, it's a pretty famous one, so I'll have to look that up. But he, uh, he realizes that if he doesn't get involved, then, um, then he won't have a choice. You know, there, there will come a time where he has to either get involved to protect the things that he believes in, and, so his arc is kind of reconciling himself to that, like realizing that he does have power and he can use his power for good. Um, and, and then he has to learn how to do that. And I think that's uh, that encapsulates his arc um, pretty, pretty as, as succinctly as I can in just a couple of sentences.
1: Mm-hmm. Because at the end, at the beginning, which comes back to the end where he's meeting the vampire priest, it does seem like he is now committed to working with others because he's discovered others who also feel like he does.
0: Yeah, yeah. And that's, a, I think, that's a really powerful moment for him mm-hmm. as well, as realizing he he does have allies; he's not alone.
1: Well, your other novels have been urban fantasy, the Kitty series, and how was writing this one different? I don't know that it was. I, you know, in some ways, everything
0: I write is a little bit different, um, but in some ways, it's all kind of the same process and. Um, You know, because this is spinning off so much from the Kitty series, it's, uh, you know, a lot of the Rick stories um, grew out of me just wanting to clarify his backstory so that I could write, you know, I could go back and write the Kitty novels with that information in my mind.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: Um, And then, you know, he sort of slowly evolved into his own character with his own arc um, that I could write more stories about. And the things that they have in common is they're, they're really character driven. You know, the kitty novels and the Rick stories are, are pretty steeped in character. And I think urban fantasy in general, uh, you know, so many urban fantasy series and novels, it's the characters that keep us coming back. Mm -hmm. Um, so, you know, if you can, if you can build a really strong foundation with a character, you can tell just about any kind of story you want to. So for for me, you know, I I don't know that it was too terribly different. The the biggest difference was the the historical aspect. That most of the Rick stories are are histories. They're they're historical fiction, um, as well as being vampire stories. So there's a lot more research. Um, I just I had to do a lot of reading, you know, just to kind of get the right atmosphere and to get some of the right the right details, you know, especially uh, you're writing about Santa Fe in the mid 19th century. Um, was really fascinating because we know a lot. There's a lot of information out there, and I want to try to get those details right when I'm writing those stories.
1: Well, and what are you working on now?
0: I'm always working on so many things. It's hard to <laughs> hard to pick one to talk about. Um, I have uh, you know, in addition to the immortal conquistador, I have uh, two novellas coming out this summer about Robin Hood and his hmm. children. Um, the Ghosts of Sherwood and The Heirs of Locksley um, and those will be out starting in June uh, and then uh, looking a little further out I've got a couple of different novels that I'm working on um, one of them we, we still haven't quite settled on the title but it's kind of a, a satirical gaming adventure story and that will be out um sometime in the next year, um, in, in 2021. Um, and then I'm working on a new novel as we speak that I've, I haven't talked too much about it, but I'm hoping to finish it up in the next couple of months and then uh, and then I'll know a little more. But yeah, yeah. I'm always working on new things. Yeah, there's <laughs> always more
1: stories to tell. Thanks for dropping in and talking to us today.
0: No, it's my pleasure.
1: Thanks for listening to us today on the New Books Network Fantasy and Adventure Channel. I've been talking to Carrie Vaughn about her latest book, The Immortal Conquistador. To find out more about Carrie and all her writing, you can visit her website, CarrieVaughn.com. In case you're listening and not reading, that's Carrie with an I-E and Vaughn, V-A-U-G-H-N. Join us in April when I talk to Karen Landsman about The Heart of the Circle, a contemporary fantasy set in Israel. I'm your host, Gabrielle Matthew, author of the YA Fantasy Girl of Fire, the first in the Baroness Quest series. You'll find the podcast schedule on my own website, GabrielleMatthew.com. My name is spelled G-A-B-R-I-E-L-L-E, funny last name coming up, M-A-T-H com, And you can also follow me on Twitter to get updates about new podcasts and more. I'm there at Gabrielle Author.